You are listening to the Vegan Body Coach Podcast, all about optimizing your strength, fitness, and physique through a plant-focused diet. My name is Jackson Burton, and I'm a nutrition and training coach for vegans, the plant-centric, and plant-curious. I'm sitting down with athletes, experts, and influencers around the world to inspire you to create your best vegan body yet. Kia ora friends, we are back, Vegan Body Coach Podcast, episode number 26. My name is Jackson Burden, your host, and I'm an online coach, a personal trainer, and a gym owner here in Auckland, New Zealand, and I'm super passionate about helping people take hold of their lives, take hold of their nutrition and their training, and I guess create their best vegan body yet. So that's what this thing is all about today. We have a fantastic episode for you. Diving into a little bit of the endurance spectrum, which we haven't covered on the podcast as of yet, something that I've been diving a little bit more into myself as I prepare for events this year, obstacle course races, and eventually a a marathon, which I've yet to complete one. And I tend to focus a little bit more on hypertrophy and strength-based training, but this is just another challenge, another uh, avenue to dive into and kind of tap back into my previous training history with the military doing a lot more of that endurance based training so this one is all around optimizing your nutrition on a plant-based diet for endurance adaptations our guest today is daniel weiss who is a coach and nutritionist in slovakia with a keen interest in endurance racing and endurance performance daniel has competed in multiple trail and obstacle course events such as Spartan Race and as a Spartan Race Ambassador. This discussion is perfect for all of you guys who are into some endurance training or maybe just dabbling in a little bit of cycling, a bit of running here and there, and you want to learn how to optimize your performance within that given session. I love going pretty deep on these topics, so strap in. This is going to be a good one. We cover topics ranging from what's involved in obstacle course racing to how fiber can become an issue for certain situations in endurance training, how to set your own calorie and carb targets for performance, and what to eat pre-race, during race, and post-race. So there's heaps of good gold nugget takeaways for this one. Let's just get straight in. This is episode 26 with Daniel Wise on optimizing endurance on a plant-based diet. So Daniel, uh, thank you for joining me today, jumping on the podcast, and I think it's going to be a really valuable discussion for our listeners to to hear a little bit more about nutrition for endurance-based events. But before we get started, my man, do you want to give the listeners a little bit of uh, insight into who you are and um, where you're living and how you spend your days, what you love to do, um, all that kind of background stuff. Give them a bit of an intro into who Daniel is. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. And uh, basically, I'm a coach who coaches people, specifically like plant-based athletes. Most of them come from a running background or now I do love to work with OCR athletes that is like uh, Spartan race, for example, tough mother. So it involves a lot of running, but there are some obstacles or strength specific training involved into that. And I think that is very fascinating sport. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you ever tried that. But anyway, so I help these people to actually improve their nutrition so they can 
give their best during this training, right? And I mean, there are certain specific within a plant-based diet uh, that people need to pay attention to so they can really thrive on it. And my aim with that is if someone decides to give plant-based diet a go, I want them to do their best decision, right? It might not be the best thing for everybody. I work also with athletes who are not like fully plant-based, but all of them are trying their best. And as for personally, I'm a runner. I also am OCR athlete for the past two years. I have been Spartan Race ambassador as well. So I'm also writing some uh, posts about nutrition for Spartan Race Slovakia, where I am based. And yeah, you can find me on my website or, or I've been also cooperating with Atligen, which is a Swedish plant-based company coaching for plant-based athletes. Great, man. Awesome. So so when you talk about OCR or obstacles racing, uh-huh. um, where did this kind of whole thing stem for you? Like where did you get introduced to endurance-based events and kind of where did you cut your teeth on those types of events? Huh? Yeah, well, first of all, I got interested in the nutrition about 10 years ago and that was because I just wanted to lose some fat. I was at the university like my freshman year and I wanted to look better, you know, to attract the girls and also to improve my health because I had like reoccurring severe eczema and it was getting worse and worse. So it was not something that I would love to live with. That's when I got introduced to nutrition. So I started to lose weight. My condition started also improving. At first, I knew I went to like low carb diet and fasting and all of those things. But uh, over time, I started also being more physically active, right? Because you cannot just cut the diet. You will not build muscle just by eating less. <laughs> right. So. I started running, but really like maybe two, three times a week. And Spartan Race sounded like something that I would really love to do because it was not only running, you know, there were these obstacles. So, you know, it's like army style kind of uh, race. So it's more fun. And I really loved it. And I remember that me and my friend, we were thinking about, you know, signing up for that. And it was about in 2014. And uh, he didn't sign up. <laughs> right. I, uh, I didn't either uh, in that year. But my first race was actually in 2016. It was, I, I was checking yesterday, March 19th. So it will right. be anniversary yeah. in two days. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> And uh, basically, my kind of training in that time was like three times a week, like high intensity interval training and maybe 20 kilometers or 30 running a week, which is not really much when you think about it. Mm. And yeah, I I finished kind of comfortably and it was the beast distance. For those that don't know, it's about half marathon distance. So it took me about... I'm not sure, let's say below three hours. And I felt like, okay, so th- this is very easy. Or my expectation was that it would be much, much harder. Right. And, you know, it depends from race to race. 
and how hard you push yourself. Mm. But then I decided to sign up actually for Ultra Beast, which is about 50k distance. And that's when I hired my first running coach to help me with that, to actually prepare for the race. And so I had six months to prepare for it. And I finished relatively, or I placed relatively well, considering my short background yeah. in the sport. So yeah, that just motivated me and to constantly strive for improving. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So you've been at this this whole thing for, I guess, three or four years now doing mainly obstacle course-based events or do you sort of dabble in some of the um, more endurance, endurance running events like marathons and, and, and ultra marathons as well or are you mainly focused on the obstacle course-based stuff? Yeah, my main is obstacle course racing and so this was since 2016 actually my first ever race was a uh, running race that was 2015. Okay. And yeah, I do trial running. So even if I do marathons, I don't like that distances. Actually, I can run that. But uh, if it is like even marathon distance, uh, I do it over cross country. So in hills and yeah. so on. So I don't like, you know, running on pavement. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. It's kind of boring. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Uh, cool, man. And so, yeah. throughout this sort of last few years of, of doing some of these obstacle mm-hmm. course races, um, I saw on your Instagram, you know, you have placed relatively well in some of these events. So, what do you think some of your most like memorable memorable moments are from some of these events, Even if, whether it's placings or whether it's just an amazing mm-hmm. course that you did somewhere? Um, what are some of the, the most memorable moments of an obstacle course race for you? Yeah, so definitely it would be, I think it was my third race. It was also like this distance. I was just reviewing them yesterday. Yeah. And it was in Czech Republic, in Liberate region. And it was like very, very hilly. And uh, for those who don't know, like usually Spartan race are somewhere at ski resorts. So you just go up slope, up, down slope, maybe a little bit around and so on. So th- there is a lot of elevation involved. And specifically in that race, I remember like, it was kind of hard. I had to push myself, but then when I checked, there were about 2,100 people that day. And I remember that I was starting at 11 a.m. And the first wave, so you start in wave of let's say 100 people or whatever. And the first wave started at 6.30 or something like that. So I was one of those last waves. But all the time I was just, uh, you know, uh, meeting people from the previous waves. So I was like, oh, I'm kind of good, no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, which was, a, again, motivation and the ego boost. And I placed 34th that day. Wow. So... This was like huge motivation. And from there, I started like, okay, I placed uh, in a few races, like in fourth place, which was like, you know, just one place from the uh, podium finish. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, the, uh, so then I finally broke that in, uh, I think it was 2018. Yeah, and then I started placing like second place, second, first, first, and that continued. And 
but these were not as memorable as, as the one that got me started there. gotcha yeah yeah that's super cool i guess for some um some context from uh, my background as well um mm-hmm. i sort of i guess i started a lot in mainly endurance based training as i was part of the new zealand army so i did five mm-hmm. years with the military here and so a lot of that training is endurance based stuff like you know we're doing longer runs and and um obviously we're doing obstacle courses and things like that and now that I've, you know, left the military and I'm and I'm doing my own thing in terms of fitness, um, we quite often will enter a team of people in events here in New Zealand, whether it's the Tough Mudder or, or the Spartan Race or other mud run type events that we have. And I've always found them really enjoyable and it gets the adrenaline going, gets the heart pumping and it's kind of this community kind of aspect. And it does kind of take me back to my army days. I think that's why I quite enjoy the obstacle, uh, obstacle course based events. Um. Uh, but yeah, it is. It is. I guess a lot of the time, the the memorable occasions. Uh, yeah, it's not always like like you're saying. It's not always always the podium finishes. It's like one of the ones that um you know maybe you you had the best experience of, or maybe it was the most challenging, or maybe yeah, you met someone or met people, or you did it with a group of people that really um made it special for for you at that time. Um. So I guess yeah, totally. Yeah, I guess um, for yourself now, Daniel, do you want to run through what your current training looks like and and, and what you're working towards mm-hmm. at the moment? And then we can maybe jump into some, a little bit more of the, the elements of nutrition that comes into endurance-based training. Mm-hmm. Well, I would like to preface this that um, what I do is not necessarily what someone else would want to do, right? And especially when we think about uh, training for Spartan Race, it's very very different to pure running right or to triathlon for example right so for a spartan race or this ocr training you need to have like a different skill set so that's endurance on the one side then you have to have some speed maybe some explosive power you want to uh, be able to have also some upper body strength which i think marathon runner doesn't (laughs) need upper body strength right it's just some extra weight to carry. Gotcha. Uh, so, so, yeah, my training currently, it's like, um, I haven't been training much actually uh, in the recent month, but that was due to the injury that I had in my foot. So uh, I was resting it and I have been focusing mostly on actually strength training because this is where I can make the most improvement mm. and I can train even with injured foot. Yeah. So I've been leveraging this time to uh, improve my strength and this has been going for about three months. Now I'm starting to run a little bit more and what can be interesting is that I'm a huge proponent of uh, training several times throughout the day. So multiple sessions and I know that many people actually can think like they don't have time to do that because, you know, if I have to uh, go to a gym or work out like, let's say, one hour in the morning, one hour in the afternoon, it's time-consuming, right? It's not right for everybody, but yeah, it depends on your goals. I have the, uh, actually, uh, I, I, I don't have kids, right? I yeah. don't have, like, family to take care of, so I can do that. But I would also like to say that it doesn't need to be like one hour long session. You can have, uh, uh, for example, during busy days, 
I do three sessions and each is like 20 minutes. So 20 minutes, like now I had a 30 minutes run before our call, 30 minutes before lunch, 30 minutes before dinner. Mm. And these things add up. So that's actually how I like to train most of the time. Wow. Awesome, man. Yeah, and I'd love to maybe in another another episode at some stage dive into the training aspect a little more because, yeah, especially for OCR type events, it, it does become pretty, you know, there's a lot of nuances around the training aspect of how we have to try yeah. and peak for so many different training modalities into like one event um, and I guess I quite I kind of like the OCR events in the, in the sense that they they, pr- they produce a level of fitness that is so I guess applicable to to life right and um, yeah, the- movements and stuff that you're gonna do on a daily day day to day basis or if you're you're trying to run away from something or it's you know it's the apocalypse and you're trying to survive or whatever <laughs> it's all these like fitness uh, modalities that are actually quite applicable to to these things so I think it's it's definitely an interesting discussion there um, but maybe we can dive into the nutrition element a little bit now man and um, I guess there is there is always these different schools of thought when it comes to nutrition and when it comes to mm-hmm. specifically nutrition for endurance events and these different ways to look at it. Um, I guess for yourself, uh, what do you think the main components are of a diet for endurance athletes? Well, definitely carbohydrates. If, if you are there, if you are training, running, let's say, 70 kilometers plus a week, if you are training 7, 10, 12 hours a week, which is not so unheard of, even in like uh, when we talk about amateur or not professional mm-hmm. athletes, the thing is that um, these guys like me who are not professional athletes, we like to push ourselves, right? We want to... Um, do the best that we can but we also have life outside of that uh, sport right so you you have a job you maybe have a family and so so we are we tend to just push that training and we also need that recovery yeah carbohydrates come into that place because carbohydrates are really important for the recovery and for you to be able to uh, perform that volume of training over and over and to recover in between sessions, even if you are doing like high um, intensity sessions, for example, right? Because you are not just running, um, you know, in a slow pace all the time. You should not. Mm. (laughs) And even if you are just putting like a strength training into the mix, to maybe you want to grow muscle or whatever, you know, you want to have this carbohydrate. And I see like based on the communication with athletes, uh, whether it's like soccer players, because soccer player is also kind of, uh, or soccer is kind of sport that you are just um, switching between different intensities. Mm. While it is predominantly aerobic activity, mm-hmm. You have bursts of sprint and so on, and you are burning through those carbohydrate stores. So what I see very often is that athletes, especially those who are not plant-based, they don't eat enough carbohydrates for their performance. 
and you don't necessarily need to eat it like all year round. There is the concept of periodization that mm. I think you are aware of. Mm. So you you can have like times when you lower your carbohydrates for your body to adapt to let's say higher fat diets or whatever. But generally speaking, especially if you are training hard and training constantly, you will be depleting these glycogen stores constantly. So you want to help your body with replenishment. So carbohydrates is definitely one thing. And then uh, when we also speak about carbohydrates, I think that um, many athletes have that idea that I just need to eat clean. That means maybe you know, fruit, maybe some uh, whole grains, legumes. And I mean, these are all great sources of carbohydrates or nutrition but they also have a lot of fiber and uh, this can cause excessive bloating and uh, it can prevent you to eat enough or get enough calories mm-hmm. to support your training and to get this desired training adaptation. So mm-hmm. anybody who is struggling like to push themselves to improve their training, this is something that I, they might look into. And then, I mean, protein for athletes, it's, uh, especially important, but you know, I don't think if you well, um, let me rephrase this: if, if you just eat enough calories, like if if you are an athlete and you get three thousand calories or more a day, you will be covered for your protein because you need, let's say, one point one point eight grams, even up to two grams mm. a day per kilogram of body weight with this amount of calories, right? Uh, it's a different story if you are cutting on 1,500 calories. <laughs> then, then you need to be more aware of what you eat uh, in terms of protein. So I think these are the major things. Of course, you want to keep eating vegetables, but um, generally speaking, I don't think that specifically plant-based athletes have problem with vegetables and yeah. fruit intake. Yeah. Yeah, I guess with endurance-based nutrition, it's kind of, and for probably a lot of people listening to this episode, it's kind of trying to reframe the idea of nutrition and and prioritize purely performance, right? As opposed to, I mean, of course, you want a healthy, you want an overall healthy diet and you want to include, you know, these quote-unquote clean foods. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, performance is the outcome. And so, when we tell someone to really ramp up carbohydrate intake and therefore ramp up calorie intake and, you know, often that is, you know, almost seen as counterintuitive or it's something that's not always being done. And maybe not so much in the plant-based community because, you know, a higher carbohydrate intake is generally pretty mm-hmm. um, ubiquitous with plant-based diets. But um, I think for someone who's like starting out in endurance-based events, it's trying to, you know, drum home that idea or drill home that idea of, yeah, we need to increase carbohydrate intake if you're doing these huge <laughs> amounts of exercise per week and you're no longer you're no longer just dropping into the gym and doing like three sets of bench and some curls and going home. You're You're now purely running for an hour without stopping right whereas at the gym you're you're half most of the time probably three quarters of the time or a third of the time at the gym is resting so between sets so the the calorie cost of exercise is so much higher when you're doing endurance based activities and like you're saying it's it's replenishing glycogen it's it's for um 
you know, providing their energy for for the next training session and whatnot. But I think, like you said, one probably one of the big misconceptions is um, that you need to eat completely clean or just completely whole foods when you're doing these types of events. And if you're trying to get your calorie intake up quite high in order to allow all these carbohydrates to come in, you probably kind of have to introduce some not so, um, uh, you know, these these almost. I don't know. Um, what's the a word? Clean sources. Yeah, I guess you just say clean yeah. source of food, right? So what we call normally. Yeah, and what what so for yourself there, Daniel? What would be some of the the food choices, or let's say like carbohydrate based mm-hmm. products that you would consume or recommend clients to consume that is not purely just you know your whole grains, legumes, and and these types of um, more clean sources, right? So uh, let me just add to this like clean diet approach. And we see that, especially this uh, among female athletes and in uh, endurance, but also track and field sports, that they try to eat clean, try to eat healthy, and they eat a lot of salad, right? And they are underfueling as a result of that. And this has been like a big um, problem that's just being spoken about uh, recently, and there is like relative energy deficiency, but uh, it is mostly related to women because they start losing period or uh, they have irregular periods, which is sign that there is something going wrong in your body. So, especially females should not be afraid to eat more. I would say so. That's one thing, um, but it is also common among uh, men endurance sports because they want to get better weight to perform weight to power ratio so improve their performance in that way and when we speak about these carbohydrate sources that they should maybe include more that will allow them to eat or get more of that energy it's like simple staples you know uh, because maybe somebody now have an impression that uh, you eat for performance and unhealthy or you eat healthy right so it's not either or mm. you can still eat healthy and for performance and for example some foods that uh, i see that athletes are avoiding actively is like gluten or gluten containing products especially white bread mm. so white bread is something that i would actually recommend you it's easy to digest i mean if you personally struggle with it, don't eat it. Mm. But it's perfectly fine. It's actually a huge part of my of what I eat. Mm. You can toast it. It's easy to eat a lot of toast, mm. right? Because they are dehydrated. You, you put maybe peanut butter or hummus on it or whatever. You can combine it pretty well. Or jam, doesn't matter. Um, then, for example, yeah, dried fruit in form also in the form of jam that I just mentioned could be good I, i'm not uh, advocating for you to buy a jam that is like full of sugar like my grandma uh, used to make at home yeah you have one kilo of fruit and one kilo of sugar <laughs> added sweet like what for this is sweet as hell totally <laughs> but uh you know just let's call it puree fruit then staples like potatoes white rice are perfectly fine 
So potatoes I might um, omit in that case because they are also very satiating, mm. especially cooked potatoes. Maybe mm. you know about that. They are like the highest food on the satiety index. So they can be pretty filling, but white rice works perfectly. Then maybe some corn or corn um, polenta, I yep. think it's called. Yeah. Yeah. So something like oatmeal-based food or meals. So mm. That could be good sources of carbohydrates. They mm. are easy to prepare in bulk. You cook one kilo of rice, for example, for a week. Uh, you can just school it. You can carry it with you. You can even make some, I don't know, like I like to make rice bowl. So these are also easily digested even during the activity, actually. So these are good snacks to mm. have and to increase your overall energy intake. Mm. So don't be afraid of white rice. Yeah, 100%. It's, just, it's, it's choosing these foods that are really digestible, easy to get down, um, mm-hmm. and it potentially maybe won't fill you up as much, especially if you're trying to get in a lot of energy. So for clients that you have worked with for endurance events, how do you recommend or how do you figure out, or maybe for the listeners, for them to mm-hmm. figure out how much they actually need to perform like how much carbohydrate they need to to uh to right. perform the best that they can at their particular event is it based on weekly training output or is it just based on hey look this is the amount of calories we recommend you to eat to maintain body weight and we're going to do a certain percentage of that as carbohydrates or how do you go about that mm-hmm. my man uh, that's an excellent question. And actually, a lot of athletes or people in general want to have like I want to have that ma- macronutrient split, right? That is perfect. Mm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and or, or or some kind of meal plan that would be perfect for me. Yeah, and uh, the thing is that these things are very nuanced. So, but here is how I proceed with it. I have people who have a food log that is like say for one full week. That means five work days, including the weekend, and that is because. Uh, during the weekends, our uh, nutrition choices usually change. Maybe not so much now, but yeah. during the normal week, if you commute to work, and then when you are outside of work, you do different choices, or you make different choices. So we have that. From that, we can establish, like, okay, this is how much you are eating right now. So that is the first piece of information. Then I like to add to that just like you mentioned, going through the activity that they do throughout the week. And I just use the basic calorie calculator and I would include their activity level. So we get this second information. Okay, so we have, this is what you are eating right now and this is where you probably should be, right? Usually there is some discrepancy between these two. So in terms of athletes, we usually want to push them towards that where they should be according to calorie calculator. And it doesn't mean that they need to go maybe all the way there. Maybe it's not a number that is set in stone, but it will be pretty reliably somewhere around there. And when it comes to carbohydrates, uh, it depends um, sorry, on the activity. So active individuals who are training like uh, five or more times a week, 
So I want them to have like five to seven grams per kilogram of body weight of carbs. And this doesn't apply to person who is, for example, overweight or have 30% body fat, because yeah. that would be very gotcha. different. That would be better for going by body mass, mm. uh, sorry, by lean body mass. Mm. But usually these athletes are already sufficiently quite lean, so the body weight in that terms goes pretty well. And many people, or many athletes, are really surprised when I show them, like, you have 70 kilo athletes, and when we speak about this 350 to 490 grams of carbs, it's like a huge number suddenly, because usually what I see that they try to focus on protein and maybe some fat, but really they have this idea from general advice that you should not overeat carbs, right? That is advice for seven sedentary people, but when we start increasing these carbs, they start performing better and getting mm. more energy and maybe even get better body composition, even though they are eating more. 100%. I don't know. Do you have also the same experience? Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. So, no, I think that's really good. There's a really good breakdown there. So, it's a case of, yeah, figuring out, hey, what is your your energy needs? Um, what are you currently doing, number one? What are you currently doing? What is your current like weekly intake of, of calorie intake? And then, hey, maybe use a bit of a calculator to figure out what your um, average sort of intake should be um, and then kind of marry that up with the amount of exercise or the amount of activity you are doing and potentially somewhere in like for carbohydrates specifically, the five to seven grams per kilo range is a good place to be for someone who's doing some endurance endurance training right exactly cool so if we if we sort of summarize i guess um when we look at the priorities for nutrition for endurance-based athletes could you mm -hmm. summarize maybe in order of importance when we look at sort of calories the different macronutrients um, and, and so what order they should be in, in terms of importance for an athlete? Well, I don't really have any kind of hierarchy for that. Okay. But I suppose like from the macronutrient breakdown, really focus on this, like uh, about 1.6, 1.8 grams protein per kilogram of body weight. Uh, then get this 5 to 7 grams of carbohydrates per kilogram and then fill the rest with the fat but fat should not be like uh, your primary source it can be representing about 20 percent of your total calories mm -hmm. so uh, now that i'm thinking about it okay so you take a calorie calculator you take what you are already eating and First priority, just like with bodybuilding or any other exercise, you want to cover the protein by gram, carbohydrates by gram, and then fill the um, the other things with your carbs. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry, with, with your with fat. fats. Yeah. Healthy fat. Yes. You don't want to be drinking oil, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, cool. Um, then, of course. Don't be afraid also maybe some sodium in form of table salt. So, uh, you are sweating a lot, so you are also losing a lot of electrolytes. Definitely try to make whole food choices, but 
I would say that uh, most of your meals should be whole food, but limit um, your fiber intake, that means like vegetables, around your training. So before the training, definitely, and if it is like post-workout, yeah, limited at vegetables. You can have it like, for example, if you have a job, have them in the morning, have them in the evening for, for the dinner. So during the day, easy to digest, will make you recover faster, will make you also uh, perform. You need that energy during the day, not in the evening when you are going to sleep. So, so I think this would be the basis. Yeah, cool. So for maybe if we can just touch on that really quickly for mm-hmm. for people who are listening who are maybe getting into running um, or endurance activities, what, what are some recommendations for like easy to digest foods like they could eat before a training session and then what should they maybe look at consuming after a training session um and and is you know we could tack on is some doing some of their sessions faster uh, another option as well right so uh, this is for people who are just starting, right? Yeah, so I think generally, you know, people either people who are starting or people who maybe are, you know, training towards, you know, a first marathon or maybe they've done a mm-hmm. half or something like that. Within that kind of ballpark is probably, I would say, you know, where a lot of people are sitting. Because um, the reason why I ask this, like, this diff- uh, advice that I would give would be kind of different mm. uh, based on the total volume they do throughout the week. Yeah. So if you are like sedentary and then you are going to for a uh, jog, it would be different if you are like training 60 to 90 minutes every day, <laughs> right? So for, for that person who uh, exercises like, let's say at about 60 minutes a day, but they are mostly sedentary, then I like to have them just three main meals, like breakfast, lunch, dinner. And then maybe the, if the training is, let's say, four hours after the lunch, so there is quite a lot of space, then they might benefit from actually getting some small. And that, that would be the aforementioned rice bowl. But it can be also some like uh, overnight oats or a simple banana. Mm or maybe some dried or fresh date. Gotcha. So these are good carbohydrate sources. Uh, you get it through your digestion within 20 minutes. So maybe you are commuting from work to to a truck or somewhere, or you are going home where you do your training. And on the way home, you can eat that. When you reach home, you can start training, cool. right? So. You want to be also efficient with your time. Hundred <laughs> percent. So that, that, that's also good if you are training in the morning, and first thing in the morning, you eat that banana, you tie your shoes, you get yourself done, and then head out for the training session. So um, the post-workout actually would be more important if you didn't eat any pre-workout, or if you are like after the time between you finish your workout and the time that you have your next full meal, so let's say dinner, would be more than one hour. Yeah. So in that case, you want to have that banana or rice bowl, rice cake, something like that. Mm. Great, man. Great tips. So uh, when, when we 
th- think about like the amount of carbohydrates one banana gives you about 70 grams right it's about 100 calories medium-sized banana at least here uh, it can be even apple but banana is easier to digest generally speaking um, these rice balls you know once again it would be about 100 grams of cooked rice example so th- that would give you about 30 grams of carbs yeah yeah cool so yeah a nice sort of easy a small carbohydrate meal um before training right. is is preferable um and if you're not going to be consuming that before training then that's where that post-workout meal is even more important yeah definitely gotcha and gotcha. for the post-workout you can also include some protein some people do that automatically but i think it's worth mentioning uh yeah especially women tends to get uh lower protein intake than men for whatever reason yeah and yeah so you don't need to have a full scoop like 30 grams 15 grams is all, all that is needed especially to start that recovery process and actually the important thing is that these carbohydrates they have a synergistic effect with protein probably people who go to gym they want to build muscle they know that uh, the carbohydrates increase the insulin and this allows also the, to build muscle or have that synergistic effect with protein but also protein allows or improves the glycogen storage so that's good for endurance force gotcha cool so i guess one thing i did want to um touch on with you daniel maybe this is a little more for probably advanced athletes um Mm -hmm. and maybe yourself have even played around with it but i guess through some of my um studies with my nutrition certification we did a little bit of work on endurance-based uh nutritional interventions and Mm -hmm. we talked within those studies a little bit about uh metabolic flexibility um or you know fat adaptation um (laughs) And these types of things that have, I, I guess, are probably thrown around a fair bit in the endurance world. It's like it's the idea of being able to utilize different uh, substrates or different sources of energy yeah, totally. um, for for performance, right? And if you can be um, optimally metabolically flexible when you're doing an event, then you'll get you know you get the both the best best of both worlds you can tap into your fat stores really easily you can tap uh-huh. into your glucose stores really easily um and whether you think there's uh any any validity to using that with your clients and also whether um you use any carbohydrate periodization within your own training or your clients training um to to help with this kind of idea of metabolic flexibility so um, there's probably a fair bit to uncover there or unpack there, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, my man. Yeah, sure. I think this is a very interesting topic because, like you said, it's, uh, these athletes, they want to improve their performance. They want to run better. And most of them, they are afraid of bonking. And bonking is the state you are run uh, during, let's say, half marathon, marathon distance. And uh, you deplete your glycogen stores and you know, suddenly you have no energy, you feel terrible and you have problems finishing, not competing, right? So this is, I think, the main concern why people try to do that. Actually, it never happened to me. Even when I did like 40K fasted run and 
I never bonked, really. Never happens to me. Which we can say that I'm metabolically flexible. It has been always good. But um, my current view on those things is something like, if you are a healthy individual, you are already metabolically flexible. Okay, so uh, metabolic flexibility, you can use carbohydrates, you can use fat sources. If um, I see that mostly people who are like sedentary, who are obese, tend to be metabolically inflexible, right? They are just grazing, eating a lot of things like every hour or some sweets, usually carbohydrate sources. But uh, if you are training, you are also the training or exercise changes your whole metabolism, how your whole body functions. And if you eat that three meals a day, you know, they are like more or less evenly spaced, you will be using both sources like fat and carbohydrate. And this is also how I started with this, my HIIT training, I would do uh, combined it with also low carb diet, as I mentioned it before and with intermittent fasting. So that's how uh, I got into that, but it was a really terrible idea because <laughs> as I started exercising more, I was not getting enough energy and I lost about 10 kilo, but in muscle mass. Mm. And that is very hard to rebuild. Yeah. So I caution everybody against it. I would be curious about like what are your outtakes when when it comes to maybe uh, periodization of that nutrition in terms of mm. uh, endurance or just generally speaking and metabolic flexibility specifically. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I guess there's there's um, and 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 I'll preface this by saying that when from what I've read and what what they've basically said about the what the data says on this kind of periodization or fat ad, fat ad, fat adaptation um, is right. that it doesn't seem to actually affect performance in an event, mm-hmm. right? So even though you may be metabolically flexible um, or you may have tried to use some interventions to help you be more fat adapted, it doesn't seem to like right. result in, in any Im- improved performance in in comparison to people who haven't you know done these nutritional interventions but some of the ideas are kind of like hey um doing some sessions with a basically glycogen depleted state so for example i would have a low carbohydrate meal tonight go to bed and then in the morning i'd get up and do a a session without um a huge amount of carbohydrate in my system um, as a as a low carbohydrate or a low glucose session, um, and then I might do another session throughout the week where it's maybe a recovery, a light session where I mm-hmm. I train and then I will have and I won't actually replenish those glycogen stores after the meal. So it'll be a recover. So what they basically call these different things is um, train low, sleep low, and recover low. So these ideas yeah. of like doing all of those things with low amount of carbohydrates so that you can start to, I guess, tap into fat stores at these different times. Um, and But all of that being said, if you are doing those modalities, it's still, it's still with the idea of keeping that 
you know, five to seven grams per kilo of carbohydrates every day as well. So you're still actually keeping your calories up and you're still keeping your carbohydrate really high, but you are doing it in a way that is, yeah, periodizing your carbohydrate and your fat intake to, yeah, to try and maximize these metabolically flexibility, metabolically flexible um, adaptations to to your diet. So, you know, this is the whole rationale, but, uh, you know, as I said, it it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to make a huge difference, I don't think, but I was, you know, interested to hear if you've implemented any of that yourself or with clients. Yeah, so based on my information, I I really think that you uh, summed it up very well. And I especially like the idea that uh, what you said is like you do sun sessions that are, let's say, in low carbohydrate or low glycogen restorated state. And what I see practically many people when they hear about fed adaptation, what they tend to do is like, okay, so I did all the sessions fueled. Now I will do all the sessions fasted. So mm. like, yeah. Extreme. Yeah, so, it's extreme. Yeah, th- that's completely different of what we see in practice. Like in practice, you have like one to two sessions. Also in the in these studies, they don't do seven sessions a week fasted. They do it like one or two sessions fasted. That's right. And this is like important because it is like extra added stress. And this stress, or the idea behind it, is. If you cannot put enough stress through training volume or training intensity, then we add stress through the nutrition. So that would not be for 99% of people listening, probably. That would be more suitable for like really Olympic um, level athletes, right? On the other hand, if you are like, um, I don't know, you are pressed on time, you just want to go for a jog or a run in the morning, you don't necessarily need to eat before that session, right? That's what I did uh, this morning. Yeah. So that's completely fine. And just don't expect like any huge adaptations or that it will increase your performance. Like you mentioned, it doesn't translate to performance. Mm. It's more one of those things that on the paper it seems to work, but translating it to real life results, not so much. But also when you ask about like carb periodization, there is something that I use, kind of. Mm -hmm. And how it looks like in practice with me or for example with also with athletes that I coach, is that your normal meals, uh, I would have mostly legumes and vegetable. So what, why these sources? Because legumes are high in protein and relatively low carbohydrate. So they have pretty good carbohydrate to protein ratio. So we are lever and it's also starches that are slowly released also with that fiber. And so these are the most meal. You don't add any rice to that, which will be like a pure carbohydrate source, right? So uh, you take the same meal, you cut away from the veggies and you add simple carbohydrates like, let's say, sweet potatoes, yams, and, or a rice or toast. 
And that's what you have after the training. So basically you are increasing the carbohydrate around the training yeah. and then taking away the pure carbohydrate sources like this rice outside of the training. So it's kind of concept of uh, carbohydrate cycling. Yeah. I love it, man. That's perfect. That's great. I, I think it's also, you know, a very simple concept to put it in that way. And that's why many people can simply adhere to that. Cool. That's awesome, man. So if we can maybe transition into um, someone, you know, hypothetical client who's signed up to mm-hmm. an event, maybe it's a marathon, maybe it's a 10-kilometer um, Spartan event, something like that. If we look at race day nutrition now, or even maybe a couple of days leading up to the race day, um, how do you think someone should structure those meals leading up to that race day? Should they be doing some carbohydrate loading before an event? Should they um, be consuming some kind of specific protocol before the actual race on the race day? Um, What do you use yourself and and with athletes? Yeah, so once again, uh, I don't think that this is something necessary. There have been some proposed benefits of carb loading, but from my recent memory, I don't think that there are there are any real life benefits from that. Actually, if you eat too much carbohydrates before the uh, before the race, you can get some nasty digestive issues. Mm. <laughs> so. Generally speaking, if you have a race, it doesn't matter if it's like a 10K race or a marathon or above, you are, or your training, you should be tapering in that at least two or one week before that. That means that your training intensity um, goes down and your training volume goes down to about 30%. So, if you don't change anything but just your training, you will be recovering or getting enough carbohydrates. So you don't need to be putting some extra carbohydrates on top of that because yeah, that's just the recipe for digestive issues. Yes. So no need to anything to do anything else. That is like the days before uh, a race. Now during the race, again in the morning, you don't good sources it depends like when you start of course um personally i like oatmeal mm-hmm. so include some ground chia seeds oats maybe banana uh not other sources of fruit because they are mostly high in fructose fructose is for your liver but i just want to have uh, glucose mostly gotcha. so that's why bananas and dates uh, that I constantly speak about. Gotcha. Uh, and oh, yeah, this would be like at least one hour before a race. Mm-hmm. Probably even more. So let's say two hours because you want to have this digested and this will allow for slow release of energy, this combination that you also have fed there. I also like to add some protein into the oatmeal. Um, because why not? I mean, it's yeah. always good to have it. Totally. Uh, if, if it doesn't cause you digestive issues, have it. So this would be like my normal breakfast, the same as I would have any other day. Again, you, you can put maybe some of this cooked rice. I really love to recommend this to athletes or that is like cooked the day before, then you refrigerate it. 
overnight. And this way you create kind of resistant starch. And I don't know if you know much about that, but basically the resistant starch uh, is slower to digest. So basically it provides a longer stream of energy. Mm. It doesn't spike that much. Mm. So that would be like a pre-race nutrition. And personally, I started experimenting with homemade gels. Or I always like to tinker with these kind of things cool. because it also saves you money. Yeah. And <laughs> which can be important, you know, especially if you are training a lot and uh, you don't want to always, let's say, buy this product. Yeah, man. But I'm, I'm not saying you should not, right? There is a difference. Yeah. Uh, so my go to like homemade gel for, for this. Uh, sessions currently is uh, cooked potatoes once again refrigerated overnight and then I puree and add a little bit of salt to it because mm-hmm. salt provides you sodium it uh, helps you rehydrate add water to it so it you make a gel texture and it's really easy on digestion and I have seen some good results with it but as with anything, it's kind of nuanced. You know, you want to uh, actually personalize it, see what works for you, see what doesn't work for you. So maybe some energy gels that are manufactured and you buy them could be really good sources. Like, for example, if we can speak about the brands, I know that uh, Tailwind uh, is pretty good. Then there is also uh, what you can get in Australia is Ah. Now it came out of my mind, so <laughs> oh, good. doesn't matter. But it's also based on this resistance starch, and it also provides different sources of carbohydrates, so they have different rate of release. So again, you have steady stream of energy. Mm. But in the recent studies, we can replicate this also with this potato, so why not? I mean, uh, I'm excited to see more about it because it, uh, it seems like they are starting to experiment with it. So you, so just going back to with the like you're basically creating your own gel with the potato puree, basically. Mm-hmm. How do you consume that? Like, so this is during the event. Are you do you have right. that on you, or how do you consume that? Well, yeah, definitely. I put it into flask. So okay. uh, flask would be this silicone that you can squeeze. So gotcha. I, I want to have really like this gel puree consistency that is easy to absorb. Yeah. And if that would be maybe some longer event like marathon or above, I would maybe put in some ground chia seeds for that fat and even slower. What I like about chia seeds is also that uh, they soak up a lot of water, which mm. helps with uh, hydration. Mm. So just quickly on race refueling. So we're doing a we're doing an event. We're in the race. How often should somebody actually be looking to take mm-hmm. a gel or slam a couple of dates or whatever they choose to refuel during that race? How often should they be doing that? Well, that's a good question, and uh, it really depends on the profile of the course. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know maybe 
you can be eating the same amount or you cannot be eating the same amount if you are running uphill all the time and compare it to running on flat right because when you are going uphill you are exerting more energy and it's more strenuous so um you need to try this and uh, for endurance events it's definitely recommended to try these approaches that you would do in the racing to try them first in training yeah so in the race day you are not trying anything new you see how it affects you um, what kind of protocol how often you should eat to get that ideal performance but from the textbook example it should be about well um every let's say 40 minutes I like to personally do it like in smaller portions mm-hmm. every 30 minutes and it's about 100 calories per that feeding. The more you can get, the better for performance. But I know also that if you are like not pro athlete then not really training your stomach because uh, that's about training your stomach to digest it. Um, you don't need to put like 300 400 calories an hour yeah right because this also can cause digestive issues because during the activity especially when it's strenuous activity you don't have blood flow in your stomach you, you are not focusing on digestion so that's why it's also essential that these carbohydrate sources are very easy to digest so it can be also like water with sugar gotcha Awesome. So is there, I mean, that leads us perfectly on to, is there, it's like a simple strategy for people to use when it comes to hydration before and during an event. Um, I know that you can get pretty nuanced with doing like sweat rate tests and all these types mm-hmm. of things, but for probably the average person who's just, hey, going to sign up for a 10K or a, or a marathon, how simple can they go when it comes to hydration? Well, I think the simplest when, when you are going for this 10K, for example, you don't take anything mm-hmm. with you because 10K, it's not like half day even. You you will be dehydrated definitely after it, mm-hmm. but you don't need to refuel or man, you are not stopping for that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> or, or you don't want to get slowed for that. Um, maybe like when we are speaking about long distances, like half marathon and bow, then... Um, then you usually can get away with just you have these places maybe at every 10k sometimes it's like even every 5k where they provide water maybe some yawned drink or whatever carbonated drinks so i would stay away from these carbonated drinks i would just get water you know and why is that again if it is not something you tried, it can give you some digestion issues and that's not good for your performance. Mm. So, yeah, if you want to be more like self-reliant, because, for example, I like to, maybe I don't want to drink at least five kilometers, but maybe at seven. And I know that there will be uh, this refreshment option at five and then maybe at 15 kilometers. So I just like to carry a small flask that is about 
I think it's 250 mils. And yeah, there I have water with some lemon juice for electrolyze again, a little bit of salt, and maybe another flask that would be with that potato gel. Gotcha. So, and I would uh, drink it like uh, I would take from one flask the water and from the other flask the potato gel so to get more fluid in me. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I, and I guess, yeah, it probably depends on, yeah, length of the event and the intensity you're working at mm-hmm. and how much you're actually losing through sweat. Um, one of the things that I have heard to maybe be aware of is if you are only consuming water, you can really start to flush out, you know, you're losing these electrolytes and you're not really replenishing yeah, them, right? So, um, I guess, like you said, having like you've got the flask on you that's got some salt in it and lemon juice and stuff that's going to help, you know, replenish some of those electrolytes is really essential. Yeah, definitely. Like for, for hydration, it's like you mentioned that when you are just refuel, refueling, refreshing yourself with just water, you will flush it because you need these electrolytes to actually hold onto that water. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's why it is. And usually, the maybe even a simple solution for that would be like water with some um, electrolyte tablet, right? And you usually have instructions how to use them on the label. On, yeah, so gotcha. just follow that. Cool. So that, that's very easy. But you definitely don't want to just drink pure water because then the symptoms of dehydration are very close to overhydration, mm. right? And uh, if you drink too much water, you can die from that mm. because the concentration of your water is too high, concentration of the electrolyte is too low. So this can cause death. And I don't remember the exact statistics, but in marathons, um, it should be, uh, I think there is like quite high number of people who overhydrated during the marathon. So this is something to be aware of. Gotcha. And when, when you um, started speaking about sweat rate, I think this is very simple solution also for you to try that you weigh yourself before running then after running and you see how much fluid you lost and for me it can be about one liter per hour and you don't want to actually replenish all that so not one liter per hour but anywhere between like 500 mils to 700 mils so that would be like 50 to 70 percent of what you lost during the hour you want to replenish Great. There's some awesome, awesome strategies and takeaways there, man. So I do want to round this one out, man, and maybe just touch on what are some key supplements you think endurance athletes mm-hmm. should look at using, if any? Um, is there anything you use? Is there anything that is um, going to change the game for people? Because um, a lot of the time I think when someone decides, hey, I'm going to switch to endurance-based training, like even for myself, I mainly do like hypertrophy-based training, but then recently I've signed up to an obstacle course-based event. So I was like, hey, cool, I'm going to throw some endurance-based running in and things like that. Is there anything uh, supplementation-wise that uh, you think people should jump on um, or should we just stick to using the foods and using the strategies we've already talked about um, in terms of electrolytes and, and, and pre-workout fueling. 
Yeah, definitely. I think I think it doesn't really change there. It's mostly about having that food that you eat um, generally. Also, like people are afraid of cramping or when they experience cramping, they think that magnesium maybe during activity that it would help them. But uh, there is no evidence for mm. that. Actually, if mm. you are experiencing cramping, it's most likely because your muscles are not used to that effort and to the exertion. So it's, uh, you have not trained enough. <laughs> gotcha. That's why you are cramping. Um, when you think about also the sodium, potassium, calcium, all the other, let's say, minerals, you don't deplete them during the activity. You have enough stores not to deplete them. So uh, it's not like you need to really focus on these supplement and extra. Like magnesium, generally speaking, is good for health as a health supplement. So, so that would be good to supplement whether or not you are training for endurance activity. But something uh, really to think about is um, based on statistics that vegan athletes can be uh, deficient in iron and especially uh, vegan female athletes. Mm. So this could be worth thinking about, but iron supplementation should be done based on your blood test. So have that uh, iron levels checked, and specifically ferritin, and yeah, supplement based on that because you know iron is not soluble in water, so you cannot excrete it and you can get poisoned from if you supplement too much. Mm, totally. But other than that, I I don't really think like specifically protein is a good supplement as always. Uh, B12 is mandatory, I think. And when you are use, using salt, use iodized salt. Yep. Cool, man. That's awesome. Well, Daniel, thanks so much for running through all of that for us. Um, I'd love to touch on, you know, what are you working on in 2021, man? What are you working towards? Obviously, you got the injury at the moment that's, you know, set you back a little bit, but what's on the horizon? Is there anything coming up um, for yourself, training-wise or business-wise, things like that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, once again, thank you for having me. And yeah, my injury is like already healed, so I'm comfortable increasing the a uh, little bit more endurance-based cool. activity. So maybe a little bit more running because I really got comfortable with this 30 minutes run. Yeah, 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 <laughs> gotcha. And uh, so this is like from the training perspective, I'm also always thinking like how to improve and so on, but this is everything. It's like uh, I'm a huge proponent of just covering the basics and working on the basics because people think about uh, what else can I do in nutrition and what else can I do in training but my friend actually have a has a nice opinion on that from the training perspective that you want to clean up your training you don't want to have that extra stuff you you want to have as clean as possible so I really love that approach from the training perspective and from the nutrition perspective so work on the basics get enough carbs also the carbs are ergogenic so this is the best supplement for performance and 
Uh, I forgot to speak about or mention caffeine. Okay, caffeine. I, yeah, th- th- this can help. But again, different people react differently. And yeah, it's been shown to increase endurance, also strength performance. Totally. Uh, when it comes to business, oh, I'm always developing, uh, putting content on my website, on my social media. And I've been developing also recipes for athletes specifically. So I have like two different, let's say, models, for which is one is focused on protein. So for this is for people who have trouble getting enough protein, or maybe if they are cutting uh, and want to lower the overall calorie intake, then they want to have as much protein for the least amount of calories. Yeah, which can be pretty hard on a plant-based diet specifically. But then also recipes that will I do recovery, uh, which are mostly plant-based, support your performance through enough carbohydrates, through enough vitamins, minerals, and most importantly, they are like very simple, easy to prepare. So this is what I have been using or providing to my clients, and hopefully in future this will be like. Uh, maybe form of ebook or something like that. Awesome, man. I'd love to ask you, because um, you're you're living in Slovakia, am I correct? Right. What's the, the, the vegan scene like in Slovakia? Ah, you know what? It's like, um, I wouldn't say it's very huge, but it's pretty pretty big well <laughs> i see a lot of people are actually willing to try these things like vegan things right and we have some really good restaurants it's definitely growing uh definitely not as much as in germany for example yeah but um if you are in the capital city there is no problem even here around i mean you cannot find like vegan places or restaurants, but you can find them like growing like mushrooms across the Slovakia, so we, which is always nice to see. And also, like I mentioned, I work with athletes who are, um, let's say, not fully plant-based or don't want to go vegan, but they are thinking about like how to cut uh, from meat. They want to eat less meat, maybe. They have problems with uh, diary. So yeah. I always recommend them oh, go to that place, try cool. that food. And they are always like surprised that it can be also tasty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So, so that's that. No, that's awesome, man. It's great to hear. It's, um, it's, it's always interesting to, to hear how uh, the vegan movement is, um, I guess progressing and um, taking hold in different parts of the world. So that's that's super cool to hear, man. Um, while we're here, my man, do you want to go ahead and plug away your socials, your website, coaching services for the listeners, um, and uh, and then we can get you out of here, my man. Yeah, sure. So basically, anybody who wants to follow me get maybe some inspiration when it comes to. Um, or idea like what I eat, get inspiration from that, or what I recommend, you can follow me on uh, Facebook or Instagram. You can find me by handle performance optimized. And you also find in my bio 
links to all, all the other things. But I also like to uh, write like deeper stuff, like what we discussed here on my website, which is www.eiss.eu. So basically, it's like shorthand for Daniel and my surname Vice. Gotcha. That's perfect, man. So, and I, I'm I'm always happy to answer anybody's questions. So if they just send me a DM, feel free to do that. Cool. Yeah, we've got a few people um, this year that have uh, signed up to a few different obstacle course events here in New Zealand, and then um, marathon events as well, man. So it's going to be a bit of an endurance year for a few of us. So potentially, <laughs> we'll reach out and and uh, ask all our pressing questions. Um, from you my man yeah you sound to be also excited about your uh upcoming race yeah yeah it's it's cool because there's a bit of a change in in the focus right and it gives you something to work towards you know a specific date and the the training completely not completely but the training does adapt and um and you mm-hmm. get to challenge yourself in other ways um so yeah i've been enjoying the shift man it's been a lot of fun and i'm looking forward to to seeing how we do event time man but i'll utilize some of the stuff we talked about today and in terms of the nutrition and um and maybe give the the potato gel a go <laughs> yeah you can also find it on my website so great it's very easy to prepare which is which is very important. Cool, man. All right, Daniel. Well, thanks so much for for taking your time, bro. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up again soon and potentially jump on another one at some stage. Um, But I'll let you get away, get on with your day. Maybe you'll get in another couple of those 20, 30-minute sessions, hey? (laughs) Definitely. There you have it, team. That is optimizing endurance-based outcomes on a plant-based diet. Hopefully, you got some key takeaways there that you can apply to your own training. If you want to keep up to date with my own training as I progress towards multiple obstacle course-based events this year along with the Queenstown Marathon at the end of 2021, be sure to jump on Instagram and follow along as I document my own journey of concurrent training which means to say I want to optimize my endurance performance while maintaining and minimizing muscle loss and strength loss, which is something that I'm keenly aware of is the interference effect of endurance-based training. So something to look out for in the future is another episode all around concurrent training and how we can optimize our training to support muscle retention, strength retention while endurance, uh, while performing endurance training. Be sure to link up with Daniel on Instagram as well. Show him some love. And if you like this episode, go ahead and screenshot your phone. Throw it up on Instagram stories. Let us know where you're listening from. I'd love to know. I'd love to see it. And of course, if you're doing your own endurance training, let us know. Tag me. I'd love to support you in your journey as well. Be on the lookout for the next episode. It's an absolute winner. A big episode that I've been waiting a little while to record with Melanie Joy. And if you don't know who Melanie Joy is, please go ahead and do a quick Google search. Maybe grab one of her books. It's incredible stuff. And we discuss the intricacies of effective and healthy communication between vegans and non-vegans. Something that I'm sure you're well aware is increasingly important as more and more people shift towards a plant-based diet. And navigating those tricky conversations is something we all need to be 
better versed in, um, better able to to handle and uh, to provide a positive outcome. So look out for that one coming up very shortly. Hope you're well. Go train hard. Get all those carbohydrates in, and we'll see you in the next one. More plants, friends.